McConkey. Hello, Dave Holmes. How, How are, are your spirits? Um, they've been better, Matt. How about yours? Yeah, same, 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 same. Yeah, this this was maybe uh, the worst week of it so far. Just an incredibly brutal, brutal week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just no way to. Uh, yeah, no way around it. Yeah, um, unbelievably uh, grim and depressing. Yeah. Yep. Jesus Christ. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> just trying to what find a way a, to... some way to lighten it up. Uh, the good news is you are in for listeners are in for a, a very light and fun ride. Uh, this interview, which was previously recorded with Carson right. Cressley, but you yeah. know, we're recording this intro right before release and uh, yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me tell you a rare bright spot. Please. I was reading the BuzzFeed article about how we had passed 100,000 uh, deaths from COVID-19 yeah. yesterday. And in the sidebar was another BuzzFeed article that said, people are putting their cereal bowls in the freezer and saying it slaps. So I said, you know what? Tomorrow morning, I'm going to do that. I'm going to oh. take my little, my little peanut butter granola. Put it in a bowl, stick it in the freezer for a half an hour, see what happens. With, with milk or without? He had the milk later. Got it. Okay. And it was, uh, it was okay. Did it slap? It didn't, you wouldn't say it slapped. Slaps, slaps was an overstatement. Slaps was an overstatement. What? I would have walked it back. <laughs> what it was kind cereal of granola the are you working with? It's like a Kashi... Go blend. I don't know. Okay. Some, something along those lines. It's peanut buttery. I, this is not an ad, but I want to uh, endorse a granola that is hard to get your hands on. I, I would say it would actually be very uh, diabetes friendly uh-huh. in terms of the glycemic index and whatnot. It mm-hmm. is just, um, there's no sugar. It's, oats and it's hemp protein and uh and it's gluten-free and all that stuff too it's the it's like the healthiest granola i've ever found it does have some kind of artificial sweetener in it that doesn't bother me but it's not for everybody right it's called power granola and you can order it on amazon i'm writing that down right now power i'll send you a link this is what it's called people are like what the fuck is he saying who cares and i I, I, we're just we're at a loss for what to say and we are reaching for pleasant things um i will also say i watched uh bob and carol and ted and alice last night for the first time oh yes i've never seen it how was it it's it's good it's it's way ahead of its time um it's it feels very 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 modern and um you know, it's at the, for the time, it must have been insane. Like, I, I can't imagine how people reacted to it in 1969. For me, in 2020, there's a scene where all four of them are on a crowded elevator, and it startled me to my core. Sure. Oh, God. Um, imagine. Yeah, it's, it's great, though. The style, it, like, the, the full aesthetic of it is, is great to take in. I, I recommend it. And is the premise, is it two, two couples and they're like cheating with each other or something? something like well, that? no. It, one of the couples goes to a consciousness raising weekend, oh. which also feels super modern. It feels like, you know, yeah. something that your Burning Man friend would, you know, invite you to, mm-hmm. you know, in Montecito or whatever. And uh, and it's all, you know, it's all about talking about your feelings and not copping out and whatever. And then they they take that brutal honesty back with them into their daily lives in uh, in LA with sexy results. Ooh. All right. I'm going to check yeah. it out. It's interesting. It is uh, leaving the Criterion channel, I believe, uh, at the end of the month. So don't sleep on it. Watch this weekend. Don't sleep on that. Um, I, I want... I, I'm at such a loss. I, 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 I obviously want to acknowledge Larry Kramer. Uh, yeah. But so many people have said it better than I ever could. Um, I, other than, you know, just we, that we want to thank him. Yeah. And we are here because he was who he was. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, what a uh, force and what a loss. What a, what a force and what a loss and what a, um, 
do we even want to talk about the New York Times calling him abusive in the uh, in the deck of their obituary? Abusive, abusive. His abusive approach put some people off. It, it was changed almost immediately. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think when like thousands and thousands of people like you are dying and it is met with apathy or jokes, you get a little angry and you're, uh, you have the right to. And it's now widely accepted that his, you know, aggressive tactics or whatever are really what made the difference. That's exactly right. And there's that quote, everybody, everything, everyone's quoting, you know, Dr. Fauci saying that there was American medicine before Larry Kramer and after Mm -hmm. Larry Kramer. Mm -hmm. We have him to thank Uh, for a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Rest in power, Larry Kramer. Yes. So on a much, much happier note, we've got Carson Kressley this week. uh, And I would have loved to have asked him about Larry Kramer, of course. I'm I'm sure he would have... uh, had a lot to say, but we recorded this earlier on and he is on his farm in, I think, Pennsylvania. Something Uh, like that. Yeah. And just turned the hell out, even though he's stuck at home. Of course. I mean, just a gorgeous specimen and, and what a light um, and a joy to talk to. Truly. So without further ado, enjoy Carson Cressley. We are back with Carson Cressley. Hello, hello. Carson, you, you've just revealed to us that you are wandering your farmhouse. That sounds so beautiful. It, it, it sounds beautiful and sad all at the same time. I sound like, It sounds like I'm wandering around like Miss Havisham. But um, <laughs> yeah. yes, I'm, I'm very, I'm very, very lucky. Um, normally, I live in New York City, but... Um, I came out here about three weeks ago and, uh, I've been lucky. I have some space to roam and projects to work on and, um, I can get outside. So that's all been, um, a blessing. And I'm very, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. The glimpses that I've gotten of it on, on Instagram look really beautiful and idyllic. Certainly there are worse ways to spend a quarantine, but, um, I, I agree. And you were saying before we recorded that you're, you're, you know, you're going live all the time. I'm sure your requests are coming in left and right as the vultures swoop in and try to, we all make you do our podcasts, but can you describe sort of your quarantine routine or what a typical day in your life has been like? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, it's, it's actually been really refreshing and different and I know it's a terrible time and I'm just trying to make the best of it. And, um, I am usually traveling, so I don't normally have a typical day. And some days it'll be like you're on set at RuPaul's Drag Race or I'm doing a new project or uh, it's fashion stuff for the Oscars or whatever. It's always very, very different. So actually having, you know, 30 days or whatever it's been um, at my house to like make myself a smoothie in the morning and then make myself lunch. It's actually been in some ways, nice to have this at-home routine because I never have a routine. So I usually get up and I make a smoothie with bananas and all kinds of uh, immuno-boosting properties, garlic and uh, spinach. And it sounds disgusting, but uh, there's a lot of wild blueberries in it that makes it drinkable. And then um, I usually do my emails and whatnot from my bathtub. Um, I'm a huge bath taker like Tom Ford. And, um, so I do that cause you can like, you can work and be like in the bathtub and be naked all the time. So I did that. And then, uh, then it's usually lunchtime. I do my live show every day from 12 to one. So that gives me something. I have to feel like I'm producing something and being like valuable. Uh, so I try to do that. Um, and it's just for my own like mental health to like, feel like I'm productive and then uh, in the afternoon, I usually work with the horses. I'm lucky we have horses here at the farm. So I'll do that. And I've never been able to spend that much time doing that, which is my real passion. And then uh, it's time to make dinner. And then nighttime, 
I either read books or um, do the Netflix, you know, binging thing. And um, a lot of organizing and house cleaning in between. So nothing too exciting, but I like to be busy. But also never a dull moment. No, no. I try to, um, you know, I think I was a bit of an adrenaline junkie and a travel junkie. And I constantly needed stimulation to, like, just be busy. And um, this has been really help, helpful for me to just kind of, like, quiet down and um, have alone time and just, you know, do some of my own stuff. Be introspective even. So it's Ooh. been good in that way. I wow. know. Who knew? Who could have imagined? Yes, look okay. inward. There's nothing to do but look inward. And what are you seeing thing. when you look inward? What have you learned? Um, you know what I think is that um, it prioritizes things that are important. Um, and for me, it's just like, wow, if you take care of your body and you eat better and you like have a routine, that's actually much healthier for you. Also things that um, if you really, really miss them in quarantine, um, you know that's kind of one of your passions. And if you don't miss it, um, it's probably just kind of clutter in your life. So I've realized that, you know, I don't need to go to home goods every three days to buy stuff I don't need. I can live without it. Hmm. You mentioned, I, I know Netflix binging is part of your routine these days. What are you binging? Oh, I binge really random stuff. And I, uh, I haven't seen that tiger movie because I'm very, uh, I have, you know, I'm just a natural, like, uh, uh, rebel. So I'm just like, I am not watching the Tiger King or the Lion King or whatever it is. I'm going to find my own stuff. So I sometimes watch old movies, uh, you know, like 20s, 30s, and 40s movies, because you never have time to really sit and uh, uh, savor those, because they're very slow moving. I've been watching um, an original series for Netflix called Anne with an E, which is about the Anne of Green Gables trilogy, but it's been updated. Yes. There's like a gay character, um, which has been super fun. And uh, Belgravia on Amazon Prime, just delicious scenery. I've watched all of The Crown, which again is delicious. Um, I've been watching weird... Uh, uh, once you watch things like uh, Downton Abbey or like British things, they have British documentaries about famous British houses. Mm. So that sounds very boring, but I've been watching no, all it doesn't. those. Doesn't it? So all. like art and architecture and design shows that I normally don't have time for. So I've been watching that. And then I'm going to get into on my list uh, uh, Call the Midwife. Have you heard about that one? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Carson, hold on. Hold on to is your hat. Is it so good? It is real good. Are you a crier? Uh, not normally, but I probably will be. I cry on yeah, airplanes and, prob and probably in quarantine. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I think it sounds right. Okay. Yeah. Well, have, have some paper products nearby. Oh, good. Okay. I could yeah. use that. Yeah. It's beautiful and cathartic. What's the last thing you cried to on an airplane? Oh, uh, you know what? Usually when I cry on airplanes, it's like on very long trips, like coming home from Australia or, you know, very long where you're hunkered down and you're like wrapped in blankets and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to really get into this. I have cried at Mamma Mia, which is ridiculous. Okay. No, that's, um, I think that's and, a perfectly appropriate uh, response. I don't know why, but I'm going to chalk it up to the altitude. And just when you're on a long plane ride and you're far away from home, it's very, you get like homesick and emotional yeah. and uh, fragile. So I think that's why. And then, um, oh gosh, what else have I cried to on airplanes? There was a movie about the um, terrorist takeover of a hotel in India, which is um, Army Hammer is in it. So that's really why I was watching. But okay. then it, just, it got real sad. And I was like, oh, no, this is awful. So I, I think that as well. So I'll cry basically at anything on a plane. Okay. I watched uh, A Dog's Purpose on an airplane and I cried so hard the oxygen masks came down. Oh, no, um, no, no. Yeah, you can't I, watch, I don't recommend you can't it. Watch, no, no pet movies. No Marley and no. Me. You cannot do that on a plane. You'll no, you can't hysterical. do it. You can't do it. Cue, cue the you dog do bark. I heard that. Yep, that is uh, that is Finbar off in the distance. Have you seen uh, Army Hammer's new look? And Matt, have you seen it? 
I have. Oh, and did he like shave his head or something? He gave himself a mohawk. Uh huh. And in the mohawk, in the debut of the mohawk, he was also wearing kind of a like a fringed crop top. Am I right, Dave? Yeah. Yep. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A little flash dance affair, Uh, and a uh, like a um, not a handlebar mustache, but a. Kind of a, a leatherman, a real mustache. statement piece mustache. Oh, for yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Um, I'll be damned if he doesn't make it work. Game. Yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. that's really annoying that it actually still looks hot. He looks like right. you know, like a 1970s Christopher Street motorcycle hustler mm-hmm. um, that I would want to have sex with. Absolutely, yeah. he, take out my last out. dollar in the ATM and make it happen. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd give him my PIN number. Absolutely. Oh, God, yeah. People are up to, you know, some strange things uh, in these times. And I was wondering, Carson, what you make of or, or, or kind of what you envision for us fashion-wise when we emerge from this, because we were already all really kind of leaning way into athleisure and loungewear. And now, of course, right, we've kind of collectively given up. Not you, of course, because I... I know you're, you're getting properly dressed cause you're you and you're, you know, you're broadcasting every day for the people, but, uh, are you concerned that, uh, we will have just given up by the time this is over? Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to remain hopefully optimistic that, um, and even for me, like I'll wear like a cute, like, you know, like uh, jogger pant that sounds awful and then like a cashmere sweater. So I try to keep it still a little luxe and colorful and fun. Um, But um, I do think that people, I think, and I alluded to this earlier, that I think we miss things that we took for granted. And I think being in a workplace and being around people, um, uh, I think will inspire us to get back to it and say, wow, I kind of liked dressing up and it kind of, I really understand now that when people say, you know, what you put on affects how you feel. And I'm hoping, um, and maybe this is the Pollyanna in me, but I'm hoping that um, when we get back to work and socializing, that we will um, realize that clothes are important and they are a way to communicate and they are a way to make us feel good. And I hope that people will embrace that after self-isolation and, um, fall in love with their wardrobe again or decide to reinvent their wardrobe and get back to dressing up. I like the sound of that. Yeah, let's hope. Who are your, in in the realm of gay icons, uh, I'm sure it's hard to pick just one, but, Mm. you know, in terms of divas and music, um, who are your all-time faves or who would would be your sort of Avengers team of icons? Oh, I mean, like gay icons or like entertainment, like our divas that we love, that the gays love. Yes, exactly. The divas. Uh, I adore Dolly Parton. I think she's, you know, obviously an American treasure. I've gotten to meet her. I've gotten to work with her. And she is everything you would dream of and then some. I feel the same way about Cher. You know, I'm a little old school. And... um, uh, you know, when you meet these people and I've been so lucky to meet both of them, they're just so incredible. And they, they have a force around them. That's just like literally divine. And, um, and they're such big stars, but they are so, um, salt of the earth. And it's just, they're just, when you meet them, you're just like, Oh my God, you're better than I could have imagined, which is wonderful. Um, who else? Um, who else do I love diva wise? Um, I do love um, Christian Chenoweth. I don't know. Is she like a gay icon For diva? Sure. I love, yeah. I love Nicki Minaj. Um, I love Miley. I love Madonna. Um, the meeting with Madonna didn't go so well, but. Oh, um, oh all right. Oh, still, start from the beginning still, right there. Still, start from the beginning. Don't the, spare the us a detail. No, 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 no. It's always, you know, you, you meet, oh, and J-Lo. Oh my God, J-Lo. Amazing. But Madonna, I've met her twice and they both went badly uh, because she is, she's right up there with, Do- I would say there's a triumvirate of Dolly, Cher, Madonna for me sure. and my demographic and my age group. I'm 50. 
Um, those are the people that I grew up listening to. And anytime you grow up listening to someone, they have a more godlike and yeah. powerful presence in your life. And Madonna is one of them. I met her on the dance floor of, I think it was like Benny Medina's Oscar party. And I had the same agent as Melissa Leo and she had won an Oscar for frozen river. And, um, uh, the manager agent said, Hey, we're going to this party at, I think it was Benny Medina's it's literally like such a high profile party for the Oscars that it's at his house somewhere in the Hollywood Hills. And they look under your car with a mirror when you drive in to make sure you're like not hiding anybody or anything. So I went to that and Madonna was dancing on the dance floor with Lourdes and I was like bopping around and I just said hi to Tom Hanks. And I was like, what is happening? And then um, I started like dancing with Madonna, but I couldn't think of anything fun or smart to say. And I was just like, I just love everything you do. It was like a total fangirl, like loser moment. And um, I think she was less than impressed. And, um, and then I was just like, okay, I'm going to dance over here now. Um, and then I think the exact same thing happened again at her premiere. She did a movie about, um, about the Duke and Duchess of York. And it was called like George and Wallace, I think. Oh, right. Yeah. And uh, I, I went to, I'm obsessed with that story. So I went obviously, and she was again at a party and it was on the dance floor and it was at um, the top of the standard in LeBain. And um, there I was again on the dance floor. Same thing. I think I said, I love all everything you do. And she, I think she was probably like you again. And uh, it didn't go well. I don't oh. know. I think she might be on a podcast right now telling the story of the time that she met Carson Kressley twice on the dance floor. Maybe, maybe. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so, but it's possible. Um, Dave is, is uh, going to try to silence his puppy. My dog. Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on, uh, I mean, a lot of people are thinking about self care right now, but mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. specifically about, aging and skincare and you have this really ageless quality to you. And I, I don't even, I, I don't even, I'm not even blowing smoke. I, I, I truly just want the secret. So any tips you can oh, share or products you can recommend well, or taking notes. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually thinking about this um, because yesterday was like international, like de-stress day or self care day. And I was like, Oh, that was bad timing. Um, because we're all freaking out. Like I was telling somebody earlier that I measure my daily anxiety by my reaction to Dr. Deborah Burks's neckwear. And if her <laughs> scarf looks really good, I'm just like, okay, we're going to get through this. We're all going to live. Um, and if she's not having a good scarf day and it's like tucked in and has no flair, I'm just like, oh no, something's wrong. So anyway, that's your ground. That's, that's my, that's my barometer. Yes. But I was thinking about self care yesterday and looking inward as I had um, alluded to earlier. And I think um, good skin and healthy skin and uh, all of that, a healthy, everything starts with uh, tons of water. And that's, um, that's probably one of my secrets. I've always, my family was like never soda drinkers. We weren't allowed to have it. And, um, I'm used to drinking, like I read this thing, like drink four liters of water a day and you'll be unrecognizable in a month. Um, I've kind of always done that. Mm-hmm. And, um, it really just flushes. You've just got to keep, um, life is about circulation and movement and water keeps things moving through your body and, and through your skin and literally flushes toxins out through your pores. Um, and that's like, key and number one, tons of water. I'm also a big fan of vitamin C. Um, and I take it and I drink emergency packets. I think that's great for your skin, um, and helps you keep a glow. And I, I don't know if there's any science behind that, but that's what I've always done. And, um, and then the third thing in my little, like, you know, beauty, uh, regimen that is not that complicated is that I wash, I think we tend to overwash our faces. And as Americans, we tend to want to be scrubbed clean all the time. And um, that can be a great thing. But I wash my face um, 
in the morning or if I'm working, I wash it at night after makeup comes off and all that. But I only wash my face once a day. Every other time, if I'm in the shower twice a day, I just splash water on it. And um, that helps from keeping it um, to become over dry. And also, I think your skin has a kind of a natural like bio, um, you know, like your stomach has good bacteria. I think your skin has kind of a natural kind of biochemistry. And if you're constantly washing it, you're constantly stripping it of, of oils and things, those things can't do the job that they were intended to do. So I don't overwash my face either. And um, that's my secret. I'm 50. I have a little bit of Botox here and there and a new nose um, from a long time ago. And that's about it. I haven't done anything else. Oh. I just, speaking Water. of Botox, listened to um, the podcast, The Baron of Botox, about Dr. Brandt. And oh, I think yes. You've, yes. you've talked about being a, a patient of his like back in the day. Am I right? I was. Yeah, I was a patient of his for, um, I think it was like 13 years. He was incredible. Yeah, and the, the podcast is great because it really humanizes him. And uh, he was so kind of like mocked and ridiculed for the way he looked and he had obviously had right, a lot of work right. done. And um, I don't know. It just, it's interesting to me that I think we, we have kind of evolved to a point where we know that it's, 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 we've sort of accepted women getting work done to a certain extent. Obviously right, we're, right. we're horrifically judgmental of women's looks in so many ways, but, it, but it, there is still this weird, um, almost like code of silence around it for men. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you still mm-hmm. experience that or do you, do you think that that's changing? I mean, I, I think that that's changing a little bit. I think that um, when you grow up with it and it's part of your world and certainly millennials and people probably 30 and younger um, have grown up with Botox and their lexicon and their moms have probably had it and it's, less strange to them. It's just something that exists in the world and always has for them. So I think it's probably less stigmatized and less strange. Um, But there still is, I mean, I still think there is um, a little bit of almost like a homophobia where it's like, oh, if you have too many things done, then you're like, you know, that's too gay. Um, And even, you know, way back when we started doing Queer Eye, it was just kind of like, we just want to make you kind of, you know, just gay enough. Like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you, it's okay to care about how you look. It's okay to, we're giving you permission to care about uh, grooming and looking good. And uh, that was kind of, I think, a big turning point in that show is that guys were like, oh, okay, I can care about this. It's all right. So I, I think it's still something that's still happening. So it feels like, to me, it feels like yesterday when Queer Eye, the original Queer Eye arrived and you sort of burst on to the scene. Um, but mm-hmm. I know it's been, I think, about 17 years now. Um, it has. What was it like uh, for you learning that there was going to be a whole new Queer Eye? Um, I think it was, um, a flattering, I think for a brand like that to, you know, one that was so successful 17 years ago to come back and be equally, if not more successful now, um, just speaks to the idea that it's a, it's a great idea and it's a great brand. And, um, uh, I think it's been, you know, very flattering that it's been able to be revived so successfully. So let's talk about your coming out experience. And I'd love to get into sex and dating and romance and all that fun stuff. Um, right, right. You officially came out, uh, I think, at 33. Uh, is that correct? Uh, to my parents, yes. Yeah. Right. Wow. And. And I know you said that like at that point, everyone who knew you was there, the reaction was sort of like, yeah, girl, we know, which is a very familiar experience. But how did you, what, how did you understand your own sexuality when you were younger? Well, I mean, younger, I mean, you know, I, I did a, like a, a pretty famous like Oprah Winfrey show. It's called when I knew and um, you know, 
I think they had asked the question, like, when did you know you were gay? And I just kind of always knew that, you know, I think like around the uh, fourth grade, I was like, wow, $6 million man, Lee Majors, he's pretty hot. And, um, you know, my, all my other friends were like, we love the $6 million man. He has the coolest car and whatever. And I was like, no, I love the actual $6 million man. Like he's hot. So I knew right away, like, you know, four or five, six years old that, um, I was different and I had, you know, I thought that men were the ones that were attractive. Um, so that was very, as a kid, you, you don't really think too much about it. It's just the way you're wired and you don't have any kind of, I think when you're really young, four or five and six, you don't understand the societal norms or pressures that would make you feel bad about that. And then when you do get older, you know, you're coming of age and it's like 12, 13, 14, you know, you obviously have crushes on classmates and whatever, or people that you see on TV, but you can't um, verbalize that or express it in any way. Um, because you've been taught by society that, that that's wrong. And, um, I did a kid's book a while ago called you're different and that's super. And, um, when I was doing that press tour, I was like, listen, kids feel different for so many reasons. Um, you could be like, my niece was like eight years old and she was like the tallest girl in her class and she was ridiculed for being tall. So I was like, you could be the only tall kid. I get it. Or you could be the only Asian American kid and everyone else is not that in your class and you feel different. But what I explain to people uh, and parents a lot of times too, is that um, when you're a gay kid, um, the thing that makes you different is something that you can't identify with usually with your family and you can't come home and say, mom, I got picked on for being the only Asian American and, most likely your parents is going to be Asian American say, listen, it's okay. It gets better. That's just, you know, an ignorant prejudice, whatever. Gay kids don't have that same option to come home and kind of share that because they feel if they share their truth, um, even their parents will reject them or not love them. So I think it makes it very, very difficult um, growing up gay. And I think of course it's easier now. So when you graduate from college and you move to New York and you are, uh, I, I, I think, starting to live your life as a gay man, uh, if I understand yes. chronology correctly, mm-hmm. How, mm-hmm. how would you characterize your dating life during that period? Oh, gosh. I mean, it's very, um, I, you know, came of age in New York City. I went to college. And there was no sex life whatsoever. I was much too frightened. But then I think I graduated from Gettysburg College on May 6, 1991. By May 7th, I had lined up a job and I was moving to New York City. And uh, I was such a newbie. I didn't know which way 42nd Street went. And, um, you know, it was back in the day when it was, you know, 42nd Street was hustlers and sex shops and, uh, you know, hookers and it it was wonderful. And uh, now it's all cleaned up, unfortunately. But um, uh, it was definitely a period of awakening and exploration. And I remember, you know, you would want to go to a gay bar to meet people. We didn't have other ways of meeting, really. Uh, There were personals in the village voice that you could do. But, you know, I was wanting to go out to bars. And I, I remember my very first bar that I surreptitiously, you know, sidled into, which sounds like it was the 1940s for God's sake. And it was 1991. And uh, I went to splash and it was so literally eye opening. Um, And I think it was before they had guys dancing in showers, but still everyone who worked there was like a muscle guy and they worked part time on Broadway and they were gorgeous and, groomed and you know every hair was uh manicured and they had big arms and giant chests they didn't have a shirt on when they were working i was like what shangri-la is this and that's you know where you'd start meeting guys and kind of you know becoming who you were it was also um which is also um a big uh factor in shaping my my sexuality my sexual my sex life and who i was it be, you know, the AIDS epidemic was still in full force and, yeah, 91 you know, was growing, height. Y- yeah, 
and growing up, you know, coming of age and growing up in Allentown, Pennsylvania, as a 13-year-old or 14-year-old and going to the grocery store with my mom and seeing Rock Hudson on the cover of the Inquirer saying, you know, dies of AIDS. Um, I just thought, well, that's what's going to happen to me because, you know, I had this secret that I was gay and I was seeing these images. And I thought, well, that's my destiny. Uh, so that always um, put sex in the light of a very dangerous and uh, precarious uh, situation. Like it, it made me fearful of sex. And even though I was in New York city, um, and I could do whatever I wanted and, and I was, you know, free to be who I was, there was still a mantle of fear that, um, hung over any and every sexual encounter. Of course. And that's, that's a trauma that, that sticks with you. Yeah. I mean, how old are you guys? I'm 49. Okay, so we're the same era. Right. Okay. So you yeah. you, you missed it, but um but forty nine, I'm fifty. Um, mm. you know, for me, sex was always, you know, it tinged with the possibility of being very, very dangerous. Yeah. Um so that was a that was that was a strange dichotomy. It was, you know, it was ecstatic, but in the back of your mind, you know, I remember my first experience was with, um, you know, someone who was like 40 and was an attorney. And I thought, you know, this guy's like super together and organized and there'll be a safe experience. But the whole time I was just, I was, you know, my first gay experience, I was ecstatic that I could have what I had always, you know, dreamed about or fantasized about that you could actually be with a man. Um, but at the same time, the entire time I was thinking, oh my God, am I, um, am I going to contract HIV from this? You know, cause we didn't have the complete story and we didn't know everything um, back in the early nineties. So it was, it was a weird time to come of age. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was a tough one. The, the second you understand what sex is and, 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 what your role in it is, is the exact moment our culture is finding out that it can kill you. Right. Exactly. That, that, that will stick with you. Um, and then the flip side, I mean, the, you know, the, the positive side of that is that, you know, and it was something that was kind of um, re-highlighted during the whole, you know, coronavirus pandemic is that we as a gay community, though, because, government was not really acting, um, we kind of took it upon ourselves to raise money and raise awareness. And um, I also remember that being a big part of my youth in New York City in that, you know, there would be rallies, there would be benefits, there would be circuit parties, um, which was also weird. It was like, wait, we're all dancing and having a great time, uh, but we all could be dying. But that's why we were dancing, because we wanted to have, you know, some people were and they were going to have fun before they went out. Yeah. So it's definitely a weird time that now when if I, you know, if I'm dating somebody much younger um, and I talk about their, that, they're just like, wow, that's some hardcore stuff. And were you in relation, serious relationships back then? No, I probably didn't get into serious relationships until I was like in my thirties. I mean, despite all of the, you know, doom and gloom and fear, it was still a great time in New York um, for nightlife. And, you know, there were still giant clubs and we would go to the tunnel and we would go to limelight and we would go to, I mean, the, the mothership of the Roxy. And again, you know, if I'm with somebody that's younger and I'm telling them these stories about like how decadent and dazzling and fun uh, the Roxy was, they're also kind of blown away because we don't even, even in New York City, and I'll go to like Washington, D.C. or Denver, and I'll be like, wow, your nightlife is so much better. And people will be agog. And they're like, you live in New York. I'm like, I know, but we don't have clubs anymore. Mm-hmm. What happened? What happened to the clubs? Uh, I think real estate happened. And I think, you know, having a sprawling, uh, giant, you know, acre under roof that is much more valuable as condos um, right. happened. And, right. you know, big clubs just just were kind of uh, 
not economically feasible anymore. And I also think, you know, we had the dawn of social media and meeting online. Um, a couple different things kind of coincided to kill the nightclubs. Right. The, uh, the Roxy in the early 90s scared the hell out of me. Just absolutely oh, me intimidated too. me oh, to, the, me to my too. core. Splash intimidated me. Too. me. Um, yes, yes. They, they were both intimidating, but um, I wasn't going to let intimidation get in the way of my fantasy. Mm. And um, there was just so much gorgeousness to behold. I was going to get a part of it. And I, and I had, you know, I had a lot of very hot friends who could get us in. And then, of course, sure. Once I had become famous, they were like, oh, my gosh, please come in. I was like, thank you. I've been waiting in line here for seven years. <laughs> uh, how, did, there, how did being famous affect your dating life? Uh, I mean, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's always a blessing. I mean, I'm very, very lucky um, that I've had such a fun and – rewarding career in many ways. And um, I'm, I'm never going to be one that complains like, oh, being famous is so hard. No, it's being famous is um, mildly famous as I am. I, I always see it as 99.9% um, .9 of the time as a blessing. And uh, it's very helpful. You know, people feel like they know you, especially when you're on reality TV, they do know you. And, um, you know, sometimes you get a table or sometimes you get to get into a club and sometimes you get to strike up a conversation with someone who might not normally be interested in you. And uh, I think it's, you know, certainly been helpful in dating. And then once they find out how charming and how hot I am, they're mm -hmm. just like, oh, sign me up. Well, then you're off to the races. So off to the races. So what, what is happening in your, in your love life now, Carson? Well, um, I, um, nothing is happening right now. There was some mm -hmm. good prospects going on before quarantine, but like I said, this is a great time for introspection and a great time to kind of, you know, uh, work on yourself. So I've just been, you know, kind of, um, uh, laying low and, and it really helps you sort out the people that you think you really want to be involved with. So I'm just, you know, making my plan for when I can get back out there and prioritizing time that is valuable and really only spending with people that, that are uh, deserving of your time. Okay. So these prospects, can we, can we help you rank them? Are, are there, is there anything you can reveal about anyone? Can we, can we uh, offer you any clarity? Hmm. Gosh, I don't know. I mean, you meet people in the darndest places. I mean, literally two days ago, I was doing a live and this guy with a screen name, like New York city gay dad, like jumped on and I was like, Oh, let's go live. I went live. The guy was hot and so charming. And like, there was actual like love connection chemistry on our Insta live in front of all 14 people who were watching probably. And um, that was very strange. So I might have to, you know, ask him out on a date once we get out of uh, quarantine. That's okay, pretty so crazy, right? New York City gay dad's going to have to call a sitter. You guys are going to you know, go out. I know. I know. That's a whole new, like now that I'm 50, that's a whole new thing. Like, oh my gosh, am I going to be Julia Roberts and stepmom? You might be. It's possible. It's possible. I will be without the knit hat. Oh, yeah. You know, that for me is the best part. Yeah. She wore a lot of knit hats in that movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Did you ever want children? No. I mean, I have been thinking about it recently. Um, I've just, I've never really been that into kids, but now that I have like God kids and, uh, I'm a little bit older, I think it would be fun, but I'm just not sure. I'm up for that responsibility. And now I'm so old that if I had kids now, they'd, they'd be, um, I'd be like 70 when they got out of high school. I'd be the old dad, the old creaky dad. You won't be the 70 that we 
re- remember our parents being a 70. No, no, no. I'd still be, you know, in a sassy Mark Jacobs number, but still yeah. I would be 70. 70 and snatched. Yes. My new book. <laughs> full of diet secrets and um and lighting options for the older days i can't wait i can't wait to read it carson uh thank you so much for doing this oh my gosh you're so welcome and yeah, it's um, been a real pleasure you just um you just let us and- know and just you know finally who's in the uh the, the finals of rupaul's drag race season 12 oh that well, yeah, I, I don't, I'm, I'm, e- I'm even wondering what's going to happen because we normally do a live finale. Um, and there was a fabulous uh, RuPaul's Drag Race live going on in Las Vegas. And I think the finale was going to be part of that. So that's all in limbo right now. So no one knows what's going to happen. Not even me. But I'll keep you posted. Okay, good. Good. What, what is a typical shoot day like for you? A uh, typical shoot day is uh, super fun. And it's the best job in Hollywood because I get to, you know, wear a cute outfit and see an amazing drag show. And then, you know, get my, uh, my little car and go home. But um, do, every do, some quips, do some quipping on the runway and then, do uh, some, and then you're some quipping and, and get your check and leave. Um, no, it's, it's always super fun. And every year I'm always so impressed by the diversity and talent of all the, you know, queens that come through the doors. And um, every day is different. I think one of the most fun things for me is that um, I get to sit next to Rue and Michelle and then also an amazing guest judge or two. And I don't ever know who it's going to be because, you know, guest judges on that show it's really dependent upon your schedule. Like if it's going to work out that particular day and um, you know, they're not always super solidified. So it's always a surprise. So when I get there and um, Oh, I just got a text from Rue um, while we're talking. Isn't that pro- oh, prophetic? Let's see what it it's says. <laughs> it says, I and, heard you were talking um, about me. <laughs> Stop it. He's all, um, Oh, he sent me a Cinderella Pointer Sisters Carol Burnett Bob Mackie mashup. Oh, that's going to be good because we have the same taste. We love that. Oh, um, but anyway, like I was saying, uh, we never know who the guest judges are going to be until that day. So I'll roll up and be like, oh my God, is that Olivia Newton John getting out of that Escalade? And then I race over. And I'm like, oh yeah, hi, Olivia. How you going? Oh, right. Let me help you with your bags. And she's like, who is this queen? And um, <laughs> by the end of the show, we are either best friends or she's filing for a restraining order. But <laughs> I get to meet all these great people like spend the day with Nicki Minaj or uh, Lady Gaga or uh, Olivia Newton-John. And I'm kind of, I love Nicki Minaj. I love Lady Gaga. But when I get to spend the day with like a childhood icon, like Olivia Newton-John from Greece, um, that really does it for me. And I tell people all the time, like, I don't really know a lot about like current pop phenomenons, but if I meet Webster or somebody, I am living like, that's what I live for. <laughs> that's fantastic. So I'm telling you season 12, I mean, it's, it's always uh, a highlight of the week. Season 12 is fully a lifeline. Like it's okay. now, now it, that we're all it, stuck it, in our home. It's like it, we're counting down the hours to a new episode. It Never really it is. And no, I know. I know. I'm counting the hours down. I know it's tonight, actually. Um, and uh, whenever I'm posting stuff about it, I really feel like that's also one of the silver linings of this whole, you know, uh, Corona pandemic is that we get to like slow down and, and uh, enjoy things as a community a little bit more. So I'm, I'm yeah. hoping that we're all watching the show and, it just feels like it's a little old fashioned, which I don't hate. And um, watching TV as kind of a community effort. Mm. I know it's more fun when it's in bars and whatnot, but hunkering down with your family and watching it is pretty great too. Yeah. And I have been, I'm at my farm in Pennsylvania, which is very close to where I grew up. And my 80 something year old parents are really the only people that I've been seeing because I'm, you know, getting their groceries and helping them. 
And uh, we now, as a family, watch RuPaul's Drag Race together. My mom's 82. My dad's 84. My dad is convinced that they're actually women. Um, (laughs) And my mom, my mom is just like, well, this is a really fun show, but I don't know why they say bitch so much. And (laughs) I didn't realize it either, but everyone's like, this bitch. Oh, no, bitch. Bitch. No. Uh, there's a lot of bitch, which my mom, you know, 82-year-old Lutheran, almost Amish lady, is not down with. But no, it is no. Funny she's not wrong. Watch, it is funny watching with them. And uh, she'll, my mom will be like, now, that's a man? And I'm like, yes. And then they'll show the judges, and then it'll be like Michelle Visage. And she says, is that a man, too? And I said, no, mom. But, <laughs> kind of. But I think definitely that's a drag funny. queen, but yeah. <laughs> and Michelle's going to think that's funny. I hope. <laughs> so um, I won't put you on the spot so, and ask your favorites from this season, but who are oh, theirs? Who are the other judges favorites? No. Who, who um, are your parents' favorites? Oh, who are my parents' favorites? Um, my mom loves Gigi good and thinks she is so pretty and talented and thinks she's a nice girl. Um, and, uh, my dad is more of um, a titty man, and he's into uh, uh, Jada Essence Hall. Mm, so, right. yeah, we've got, you know, the f- for the full spectrum. Um, so, um, yeah, that, that's who they like. I, you know, Great it's taste. too early to tell. It's too early to tell right now, but I think it's, I think the remarkable thing about this season is that, um, it's pretty neck and neck. Like it could kind of be anybody's game, you know, right about now. Yeah. Yeah. There's some stars this season. Yeah. Maybe you'll have to have my mom on the podcast and she can give you her picks. She's any, any time she's got uh, a free hour. We're here. Amazing. Amazing. Carson, thank you so much. You're so welcome. um, Thank you. Carson. Keep us posted when this is um, done. Yeah, and we'll, we'll post it online. Love okay, it. Thanks so Thank much. You. Thank you so much for doing thanks. this.